Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. The theme this month or for these kind of six weeks is all about healing and the power of our mind to heal ourselves. And today I have Patricia Musum, MD, on the show. Patricia is a pioneer in the synthesis of science, holistic health, and contemporary spirituality. And she has distinguished herself as a practitioner, educator, and research scientist, shaping the landscape of healthcare options available today. Dr. Musum is the founder of Transformational Medicine, a whole person approach to health and well being, offering tools and resources for individuals and communities in person and online. She also has her new book out now, Beyond Medicine, which I'm assuming you can probably get anywhere that books are available. So welcome, Patricia. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Please do. Okay. Thank you, Amy. Thank you so much for that introduction. And thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Hi, everybody. This month, I'm asking for your support on Patreon. So if you haven't had a chance yet um, to listen to my first episode of the year, go ahead and take a listen to that. And I explain a little bit more about why I am so passionate about Patreon. And one of the experiences that I had this past December with some of my patrons, where we had a one hour Zoom call, we were able to chat about everything and anything they wanted to talk to me about. And it was an amazing experience, I think for them, but certainly for me as well. So please head on over to Patreon and help support the show. You can give any amount, five, 10, $20. You can give less than that, but any little bit helps in supporting life, death, and the space between. Also make sure you're following me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. And if you are interested in receiving my newsletter, which has biweekly soul wisdoms, please head on over to dramyrobbins.com and subscribe to my newsletter. Lastly, I'm still taking ghost stories for this year. So if you have a ghost story to share, please send that to team at dramyrobbins.com and I will be excited to share it on my show. Thanks and enjoy this week's episode. Can you get us started with your journey to healing? Because it really started in the realm in which I work, which is psychology and psychiatry. Yes. Well, I like to think that I, I really do believe that our journey to healing is ongoing. It's an element of just being human, this notion of healing. But what brought me to where I am today and to the content of the book um, most profoundly was an experience I had earlier on in my life when I was in my uh, in call in my college years, I started having psychic experiences. I had been always a little bit psychic as a child, but kind of on and off here and there and didn't really put it together. But when I was in college, I started having really, really intense psychic experiences, out-of-body experiences. Uh, I could see events happening in the future that happened. I could uh, affect objects. I could change the, the, the substance of objects, um, kind of uh, psychokinesis without trying. I could hear people's thoughts. I would know what they were thinking. 
Um, and more and more and more and more. And this went on for, uh, gosh, maybe a month or so. I don't remember exactly because that period of time when I was in college having these really profound experiences uh, ended very abruptly by my being literally incarcerated in a psych ward destined to be medicated for life, told I was mentally ill, probably schizo of some nature, some sort of affective or what we say in kind of psychology, psychiatry terms, affective disorder, meaning mood disorder, put on multiple medications, four medications that effectively numbed me and kind of took me away from that very profound psychic experience that I had. That experience, getting back to it, was so profound because it forever changed how I came to understand reality. It forever changed how I understood time and space and my mind and our minds and, and our three-dimensional nature as human beings, which is how we experience the world and ourselves with our five senses and our thinking brains. But I came to understand so intimately that there was a reality that I call in, in the book, the unseen world, a greater reality beyond my thinking brain, beyond the perceptions of my five senses. Mm-hmm. And that reality was fantastically real, just as real as that, which we see and logically understand and we perceive with our five senses. So it forever changed my understanding of life and it gave me an incredible sense of of ease and peace. Um, and, despite, and, and, and at times, the bliss. Fact that you went, ended up being psychiatrically hospitalized. Yeah. Right? Well, that was at the time a really hard and, and not just hard, it was a very horrendous experience for me, the, the hospitalization. It took me quite some time to return to being in my body, to being the person that I had always felt I was in terms of how my mind worked and how my emotions worked. The medications really numbed me. They numbed my senses. They um, dulled my thinking, faltered my, my motor function. I had to think about how I was going to walk. I had to think about how I was going to put on my clothing. I couldn't make sense of words on a page. Um, I just was very disconnected. I can't even explain what it was like then. I can only explain what it was like when I came back to myself because I saw that, um, I experienced that distinction. So that was, a, that was a pretty horrendous experience because I didn't know that there was going to be another side beyond it, you know, that I was going to get out of it. Um, and were you disturbed by these experiences? Like what led to the hospitalization uh, for you? Because, yeah. you know, it's, it's whether these experiences, in my understanding, are ego dystonic or ego syntonic. Right? Yeah. Like, do they? You know, I, I wasn't disturbed by the experiences. I felt they were very real and they were ego syntonic, if you will. But I told the wrong people. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I had this, my heart was exceedingly open. I was very grounded at the same time. I was very in the ethers at the same time. So I was very trusting of people and I communicated what I was experiencing with the wrong people, or let's just say with people who weren't familiar with those types of experiences and who were concerned that I was literally, you know, going crazy. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> and needed mm-hmm. to be evaluated for that. Yeah. What was your awareness? I know we got to get into the book, but I'm captivated <laughs> That's okay. by the story. That's what, okay. What was your awareness of space and time in that dimension? You know, it's hard to remember what my awareness was, but it was, as I, as I recall the experiences, there wasn't a delineation. It's, it's really hard to characterize in language, mm-hmm. but everything was sort of one big soup or one big stew or every, everything was connected and flowing. And, uh, you know, I received information, as I said, about events that happened in the future. I could, something I didn't mention, I, I felt a very strong kinship with dogs, something I've always felt, but this was unusual. I felt like I could communicate with dogs mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that I could communicate just through the power of intention and listening. And yeah, the, the idea of space and time is being different. And as we know, it is different than the way we experience it with our five senses. I don't know if I'm making sense to listeners, but I think since listeners listen to you, they get yeah, it. They, they know. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I can't remember enough how to describe it, but it was, it was just different. I remember at one point um, traveling, um, kind of teleporting over space, over land, like I was flying. You know, my body was moving through space, a novel experience of moving in space. And this just like happened to you, you'd be like walking to class and then you'd teleport to where? I teleported, I teleported down a long path over the snow. I remember that much. I didn't teleport to anywhere exotic or or up five places. This is the superpower my son always says he wants. So I'm going to tell him tonight when I get home that I spoke to someone who teleports. (laughs) Well, you know, I, what would be your superpower? He's I haven't teleported since, but I've actually borne witness to others doing it. So really? Yeah. Yeah. I actually write about somebody in the book, a man named Muhammad, who is um, an Egyptian. He called himself a healer. He, he was a mystic. He was a very religious Islamic uh, Muslim and very spiritual. And he had uh, CD abilities, like we, we use the term in, um, in yogic traditions, but he had psychic abilities and he could perform what we in the material real world, the five sister world would consider miracles, but they weren't really miracles. I talk about this in the book. Miracles are the natural order of things when we get out of the way and we can mm-hmm. surrender to this greater reality that transcends how our bodies and minds experience space and time how our minds think about our reality. But he, um, he, could, he could teleport, he could materialize objects. He was omniscient in that he could foresee things happening. Um, he was a channel as well, a, a, a medium, and was a transmitter of information. And there, was, there was one episode um, in which he teleported this is, may sound out there for everybody, but <laughs> you, 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 all you listening know. Okay, no, we he, go there sometimes. Yeah, We've he teleported about... from the lobby of a building on the Upper West Side to I think it was the 14th floor or the 16th floor. It was to the floor of a friend of ours whom we were collaborating with, a friend who was uh, a researcher into psychic phenomena. 
So he teleported without taking the elevator. And showed up there in physical body? Yes. What? Yes. Okay. All right. I'm going to need to do a whole other podcast on teleporting, I think. Would he come on the podcast? He's no longer in physical form. He died. Yeah. Would he still come on the podcast? Uh, Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) In that form. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's. Yeah. So. So I, I didn't write about that so much in the book, but I, I was involved later on when I was a physician and exploring more of what we call parapsychology. I, I think it's not the best term, but parapsychologic phenomenon. This is one person with whom I did various types of empirical studies and observational studies. And Muhammad was one of those people that we did work with. Um, and that was just more fuel for my being a seeker of what I call again, the unseen world and how, um, and getting back to the theme of your, of your six weeks, you know, how, if we can really wrap our, our heads and hearts and minds and entire beings around this notion that there is this greater reality, how might it change how we experience life? How might it change how we experience illness? How might it change how we um, think about dying and death. And I, I like to think, and I say this in the book, that I think it would drastically change our experiences of living, of illness, of dying and death, that, that of ourselves and others. And it could actually help us to be fearless. Mm-hmm. It can help us to be fearless in the faith, the faith of those experiences that are so so human, um, um, you know, Ill, Ill, illness in the body and, and leaving the body. And when we're fearless, when we can experience fearlessness, our body mind is in the place where it needs to heal. So can you, I actually had fear as something I wanted to talk to you Mm. about, Um, Mm -hmm. but since you brought it up, can you speak to that a little bit? Like how do we move, especially now, right? I mean, I feel like fear is just penetrating people at every turn. Mm -hmm. How do we move to a place of fearlessness? It's really central theme of my book in terms of how do we move to a place of inner peace? How do we find inner peace? And we find inner peace by not avoiding, not fighting, not resisting, not running, not trying to be fearless, but by being present with our fear, Mm. by surrendering to the emotion that we're experiencing. And it's by being present with the emotion that it can shift. And in the book, just just getting back to the book again, I offer what I call five absolute health tools for cultivating presence, for cultivating being in the moment, for being with what is. It doesn't mean we will stay stuck in that energy of fear or worry. It doesn't mean that we're going to be paralyzed by it, but it's by being with it. And again, I have these five tools that help us to cultivate being present with it. It can shift. So can you speak to, that was my question, what, what mm-hmm. is absolute health as you define it, as you discuss it in the book? And what are these five tools? Talk to us about the five tools of how to get there. And you actually sure. do a beautiful job in each for people. This book is great because it's also, um, it's like a how-to in a lot of ways. So you, you talk about these things and then you really lay out some really practical exercises for people to engage in, in each different uh, area. Right. It it is a how-to book and and it's, 
it's really meant to help people find their ways through reading the book and using the tools in the book and the resources that I offer in the book. So absolute health is a term that I've coined that simply means peace of mind. And why does it matter? (laughs) It matters because we need to be in a place of equanimity mentally and emotionally for healing to happen. We need to be in a place of equanimity or peace of mind to be able to navigate whatever's going on in our lives, whether there's a challenging situation that we're dealing with and we're not sure what path to choose or whether there is a path to choose to resolve that situation. Peace of mind is where we need to be for healing to happen. Peace of mind is where we need to be for clarity and solutions to arise. Peace of mind will help lead us to inspired action. And I talk about this a lot in the book, rather than trying to change things, rather than avoiding feelings, rather than trying to fix things, rather than doing, all we need to do is to first stop and be, and be present with what we're experiencing in the moment. Whether it's a sensation, whether it's an emotion, No matter what it is, no matter how difficult it is, that difficulty dissolves when we can be present with it. There's a saying that's common in sort of the spiritual arena, what we resist persists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when we can find our way to being with what we're resisting, what we're resisting will ease. Mm -hmm. I I can go on a little bit more about this, or I don't know if you want to go on another tangent. Sure. And then I'll talk about the absolute health tools as well. You asked about that. We're hardwired to pay attention to the scary stuff. You know, it's Mm -hmm. how we're made evolutionarily. And we need to be. default mode network setting, right? Exactly, exactly, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) I mean, I need to be really alert if I'm walking my dog and there's an aggressive dog coming our way. And I need to be able to exhibit an anxiety or worry reaction to my physiology responds accordingly rather than just taking a lazy day stroll around the park or around the block and being mellow, which is nice and, as well. But we're hardwired to be sensitive to scary stuff. If I'm a New Yorker, I'm crossing the street and there's a cab about to run a red light, I need to be hardwired to be aware of that. So we're really primed to respond to fear energy, to emotion energy of fear. Our amygdala does that really well. Why do you think we, I was just listening to something today about like evolution and disevolution. Why do you think we haven't evolved out of that? Because the, the state of the current life doesn't really require us to be in that hyper aroused state all the time. And so yeah. many people still are. Yeah. That's a really great question. It's really something to think about. The first thought that comes to mind is that it's not that we haven't evolved out of that. I do believe we still need to have that manner of responding to scary stuff. If Mm -hmm. we're in a burning building, Mm -hmm. if a scary dog is approaching, um, but we haven't evolved, or let's say we, we have lost touch with our essential nature, which is to not be in that place all the time. I think it's really through the misuse of our minds and the misunderstanding of our minds and our emotional selves and a connection between mind and body that we can often stay harbored in the port of that fear. 
rather than leave it and find that place of peace. So I don't think it's that we haven't evolved beyond it. I think that we haven't, we don't fully understand our essential nature. Many traditions do. I've been very, very drawn to Ayurveda. I was first drawn to Chinese medicine in my exploration of other non-Western traditions when I was studying medicine. But Ayurveda, for example, completely understands the nature of mind and the nature of emotion and the nature of that connection between mind and body, psyche, as also and, and, and also a spiritual element to nature that is an unseen element. So Ayurveda's worldview hasn't considered us to be unevolved, but just rather we've lost touch with our essential nature. And that's a system that can help return us to our essential nature. And I think it's modern day culture. I think the getting historical here, the advent of technology and industrial revolution that so sophisticated our lives and technology that made, you know, travel nearly immediate. And now travel is really immediate. Now here we are, Chicago to New York on Mm -hmm, Zoom, mm -hmm. um, that we have become so sped up and we can stay hardwired in that vibration that the amygdala is sensitive to. And we need to use our intelligence to understand that and use our intelligence to create space and structure in our day to experience that part of our essential nature that is inner peace or absolute health. And that, again, is that place where healing happens. And I want to say one more thing about it, if it's okay, because it may seem seem nonsensical, but I said that it's the place where we need to be for healing to happen and the place we need to be for clarity. Obviously, if our mind is confused, we can't get clear. We can't figure anything out. But if our mind is confused, we won't heal either. The body needs to be in a state of peace, in a state of rest physiologically for healing to happen. When the mind is in a state of rest, when the emotions are in a place of peace, we toggle on what's called the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's the system, as I'm sure all of your listeners know, is the one that we need to relax and chill and eat and digest and sleep and rejuvenate and repair and heal. So if the mind is not in a place of calm, we cannot heal. In the book, I offer what I call five absolute health tools. Those are the tools, as I said, for cultivating this place of inner peace. And they are breathing mindfulness and meditation, journaling, mind-body sensing, and mirror work. So most people probably know the first three, although what is breathing? That, that's actually the book I'm listening to right now is the book Breath. So I'd love clarification on the breathing, the mind-body sensing, which was one of my questions, and um, the mirror work. I think that would be helpful to sure, dig into those sure. a bit more. Well, I discuss breathing as the most powerful tool we have to instantaneously change uh, what's going on mentally, emotionally, and physiologically immediately. And I start with talking about and teaching the practice of belly or diaphragmatic breathing which is a type of breathing technique that toggles on that parasympathetic nervous system that I just explained. Throughout the book, I use and offer many different types of breathing exercises, but that's the fundamental one that we start with, which literally in moments less than a minute will change the state of our nervous system, will change the relationship of our amygdala, that part of our brain that registers emotions. It's kind of the emotional thermostat. And what's 
called the prefrontal cortex. That's a part of our brain that allows us to watch our emotions, watch our thoughts as if they're on a, a screen in front of us rather than being fueled by them or paralyzed by them. So I start with a simple breathing technique called abdominal or belly breathing. And then I develop other techniques throughout the book. Now, again, this is all returning us home to this theme of absolute health. This breathing can bring us into a state of oneness, a state of inner peace. We may still be having thoughts. We may still be having emotions, but it toggles on that relaxation system, which, which can help dissolve what we often experience as a disconnect between mind and body, between what we're thinking, feeling, and experiencing. So it's mind, really turning off the sympathetic nervous system, yes. shutting that down so the parasympathetic nervous system can move into place, and then yes. we can start to calm our minds, which inherently heals our bodies. Yes, and in fact, it's an instantaneous process. The mind becomes calm as the parasympathetic system is just toweled on. There's a very cool process that when we allow our bellies to expand fully, and many of us have forgotten how to do that. We knew how to do that when we were babies, but we become self-conscious and we can start to hold our bellies in. And we're told we have to have flat bellies or men are told they have to have big chests so they hold their bellies in. But when we can fully be having, a, we, can, we can have a big belly like a Buddha belly and breathe mm. fully, those send, and this is what I love. I love the science of it all. And I talk about this in the book too. So for your listeners who like the science of it all, just a little mini science lesson, when I breathe fully, when I let my belly expand fully, there are pressure receptors in the lungs called baroreceptors. They, they sense the pressure increase and they send an instantaneous signal to the brainstem that lowers the blood pressure, lowers the rate of our heartbeat, lowers the rate of our breathing. It turns on the feel-good chemicals in the brain. It toggles on the parasympathetic nervous system and all the the effects that it has. It enables us for sleep if we're ready to sleep. It enables us to digest if we want to digest. So it happens literally instantaneously. It brings our body into a place of calm. It brings our mind into a place of calm. And that's where the healing happens. Mm -hmm. So what is mind-body sensing? Mind-body sensing is a technique that involves body awareness, literally finding feelings in the body. We literally hold feelings in the body. Thoughts and feelings are, if you will, things. They're, they, they're just like physical entities. And if I'm holding an emotion of worry or anger or grief, that, that emotion of worry is being held in my body physically, and it's creating a state of dis-ease physiologically in my body. So mind-body sensing is a way to get in touch with where we're holding thoughts and feelings in the body. And it's simply a body awareness technique where we check in and we, we get in touch with whatever's coming up with a, whatever's coming up for us emotionally. Maybe I'm feeling anxious mm -hmm. and we do a little breathing and settle into that. And then we just imagine dropping down into the body and ask ourselves, where do I feel that feeling in the body? And what happens for many people is the attention goes to a particular place in the body. What happens for many people is there's a sense of awkwardness or discomfort in a particular place in the body or a sense of holding. So it's wherever the attention goes. 
And then we work with some breath to breathe into that place. And throughout the process, as is natural, feelings come and go. Feelings come and go. Feelings come and go. So new feelings may arise. We return to this notion of, okay, where in my body is that feeling? So again, it's trying to cultivate a somatic or very physical sensory experience of the emotion mm-hmm. rather than being in the head with the emotion. Mm-hmm. Well, and most of our feelings all of our feelings live in our body. So true. That is so true. I wish, I wish we had an evolved medical world that could accommodate that notion because we would be so much more potent in our work in those, for those who do therapeutic work and for those who work with the SOMA. In fact, the soma, you know, the mind and the body are connected and are one, but in, in Western medicine, in my training, we, we keep them all separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that you said that. That's just so true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was actually just talking about this today with someone that when we think about feeling anxious, right, the first time we usually identify the anxiety is not around the thoughts in our mind. It's around how our body feels mm-hmm. about that, right? And so, and then we give it the label of, oh, this is anxiety, Oh, and then the mind goes, but the mind just immediately is dropping everything into the body. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and the last one you talked about was the um, mirror. mirror work. Yeah, mirror work, just a little history. Mirror work is a technique that I learned about from Louise Hay. And for anybody who may not know who she is, but probably most of your listeners do, <laughs> yeah. She was a contemporary spiritual teacher who healed herself of a, a, quote, terminal cancer diagnosis through working with thoughts and emotions and healing emotionally, as well as working with a number of alternative and holistic therapies. And mirror work is a technique that I learned through one of her books, her book, You Can Heal Your Life, um, which actually, this is a personal side which my mother gave to me when I was in medical school. (laughs) My mother was quite progressive for her time. And all of this stuff, I was very interested in Chinese medicine and other non-Western healing traditions, but I was completely naive to the notion of emotional healing. And, And that was something that my own challenges and opportunities of illness came to teach me. It was my mother also who had the wisdom and the strength uh, to wean me from all those medications that I'd been placed on when I was hospitalized after I was deemed crazy. Mm-hmm. So she helped me come back to life. Um, so I have to say a, a shout out to my mom who's in the unseen world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, mirror work is a very powerful process. Again, another technique to help us to cultivate the present moment, whatever is going on. It involves simply looking at a mirror, looking at yourself in a mirror and talking to the mirror. You might be talking to the mirror about how you're feeling, what's coming up for you, literally moment to moment in a stream of consciousness style, which is a form of writing technique as well. Or you might be having a conversation with somebody that you're having a hard time communicating with or somebody who you want to talk to who's no longer in physical form. It's just a way of opening to oneself, to emotions and to dialoguing. 
and to being present with what's coming up with emotions, either internally or in a dialogue with somebody else. Where do you think illness and disease begin? Oh, gosh. Um, That's another really fascinating question. You know, I definitely believe that consciousness is not defined, is not a unique entity that defines us, and it doesn't begin at birth and end at death. I believe that there are prior experiences that our consciousness has journeyed through. Mm -hmm. Those are what we call sometimes past lives or past incarnations. So does everyone's illness start with that? Maybe, maybe not, but I definitely do believe, and there's ancient wisdom and now modern science to support this notion as well. And I talk a lot about the modern science because I'm trying to to not just preach to the converted in my book, but perhaps draw in people who may be skeptical, but for whom science is a supportive, validating tool. Mm-hmm. So, so illness in a child could be perhaps leftover past life. Trauma. Yes. It could be. It could also be what we call uh, inherited ancestral trauma familially. I'll share something personally. My dad was a Holocaust survivor. He was a survivor and a thriver. And I, I know he repressed a great deal of pain from that experience. And I came into the world with a lot of anxiety. And we've now shown scientifically that we can inherit the unhealed traumas of our parents and their parents and their parents and so on and so forth. And that's passed on what's called in a manner that's called epigenetic transmission. And I always had an extreme amount of anxiety that seemed out of proportion to my life circumstances. Mm -hmm. And maybe it is that I inherited that trauma from my dad's unhealed wounds that were exceedingly traumatic. And as I said, he was a survivor and a thriver. And oftentimes the survivors thrive, but we often see, uh, we we see trauma and forms of illness or dis-ease and even disease in the offspring of the survivors who have thrived. So it may be that child is inheriting the unhealed wounds of his or her uh, ancestors. Mm -hmm. It may be that child is, is expressing the dysfunction in a family you know, in a, in a, in a marital relationship, like a baby who has like a cancer or something. I think so. Yeah. I think, you know, if we're, if we understand that matter and energy are not discrete entities and that consciousness is not a discrete entity, that what happened before that baby was born, that what was happening before that baby was born, that the consciousness of everyone in that baby's life, um, are, actors are players on the stage of that infant's life. Yes, definitely. There can be a causal relationship. Hmm. There's a remarkable book. I think it's on here. It's on my bookshelf. I don't know if it's going to, this is a book by a physician who's a critical care physician who literally works in the ICU all day long with people that are critically, critically ill. Some of whom pass over and don't return to their bodies. Some of whom have had near death experiences as her book is called near death in the ICU. And in this book, the subtitle is Stories from Patients Near Death and Why We Should Listen to Them. She might be a great guest for your show, I know, by the I'm way. Thinking, I got to add her to my list. <laughs> yeah. for sure. um, and in this book, she shares the stories 
of those patients who had near-death experiences and returned to their bodies. And some of these stories are remarkable, are absolutely remarkable. They're not just typical near-death experiences, but they they can speak to just what you said. How is it that a baby may be affected by what's been going on in the family? You know, even if a baby's born with a chronic, uh, you know, born with an illness. This is really about dissolving our beliefs about disease, about causation, about time and space, reality and consciousness. And I encourage anybody who's interested to explore more to read. It's a marvelous book. Her goal is not to prove anybody of any to prove anything in this book, but she just wants the stories to be heard. And that's what I love about her. her It's a great book. Yeah. Yeah. And she herself had a psychic experience, at least one earlier on in her life. But through her early career, there's just something that she suppressed. And for many years, she just didn't talk about those experiences that she learned of from her patients. And then I think finally, at one point, she came to realize these are stories that they're real, and I need to share them. Mm -hmm. And Near Death in the ICU by Lauren Belg, B-E-L-L-G, Stories from Patients Near Death and Why We Should Listen to Them. And I mention her book actually in my book, in my chapter that's called The Unseen World. And I relate one remarkable story, one remarkable story, and I won't give it away for anybody who wants to read the book, but it's a story that even blew my mind. And I've been really familiar with this phenomenon of of near-death experiences. So it's it's so stay tuned, everybody. Get her on the show. Yeah. <laughs> so she's great. Um, so in just the next few minutes, do you have time for a quick speed round? Absolutely. Okay. Love it. This is just sort of the new thing I'm do- do trying in 2022. Um, I got it from someone who, from Dr. Avanti, who interviewed me and her podcast. So um, spirituality means something beyond. What is something most people don't know about you? Oh, God. I'm supposed to answer quickly. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. What first came to mind? (laughs) I have a very codependent relationship with my dog. (laughs) Do you telepathically communicate with him or her? I definitely do. I mean, I, I definitely think animals have a sixth sense and can remote view as well. And I've had a number of, of psychic experiences with my dog in which he's, he seemed to have seen the future really, really shockingly. So oh, wow. and brought my, brought to my attention something. Yeah. Several times. Wow. Yeah. He's also my spiritual teacher and wise advisor and reminds me to practice what I preach in the book about <laughs> being in the moment. <laughs> Our dogs do that and, to us, right? Yes. <laughs> What's one thing you're really looking forward to right now? Eating. Having my next meal. <laughs> you're staying in the moment. That's impressive. I'm staying in the moment. <laughs> What's one thing you're deeply grateful for right now? All the difficulties, all the challenges, because they're really, they're, they're the ice cream, they're the dessert. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had a lot. I've had a lot of challenges. I write about them in the book. Yeah. They've just been gifts Mm -hmm. and they help to remind me that no matter what's going on, it's all okay right Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. What's, what book is on your nightstand? Oh, a number of books are on my nightstand. Uh, a number of books by Pema Chodron. Mm -hmm. She's a Buddhist spiritual teacher. 
I'm reading a book called The Real Anthony Fauci by RFK. We're going to get a little oh. political there, pandemic-wise. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I read I read the New Yorker magazine a lot. Mm-hmm. I read short stories. Yeah. And I'm reading um, a South African fiction writer of You're short like fiction. like me. My husband laughs at me because someone will be like, <laughs> what are you reading? And I like list five <laughs> things. They're like, how are you reading five things? I'm like, I don't know. I pick up one. Yes, I'm always absolutely. reading for my podcast. And then I always have something else that I'm reading. And so yes. it's, I'm listening on Audible or so it's an amalgam yeah. of, of stuff. What's your favorite spiritual healing practice? I don't have one. I, I'll say that, I mean, I, I have a hard time defining what a he- spiritual healing practice is. I will say that what personal practice changes my day every day and is a necessary medicine for me is meditation. I could not live without it. I, I, I could not live without it. That's could not function in the world without it. I think every time I've asked this question, everybody says meditation, which is so interesting. Yeah. I was just also talking with a friend about that. And it was like, sort of like when people come to me for therapy and they're like, how long, how long do you think it's going to take? I'm like, no one ever likes my answer to this question. <laughs> like, <laughs> like meditation, that's your answer. Uh, what's your yeah. most formative? What What would you say is the most transformative experience of your life? I would say the experience I shared earlier, my psychic experiences and my subsequent hospitalization, because that was a tremendous teacher as well for me and was great guidance for me as I journeyed through my medical training. Well, tell us. Uh, Patricia, where people can find you, where they can find your book, if they're so compelled. Like I said, it's a really easy read with very, very digestible tools. So if they're interested, where can they go? People can find me uh, on my website, which is transformationalmedicine.org. And people can find my book anywhere, book, anywhere, books are sold. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indie Books. Um, If you live in New York City, uh, there's a wonderful and amazing woman named Grace who's literally homeless and she lives under a brown tarp outside the Metropolitan Museum. And if you'd like a signed copy of my book, she's selling signed copies of my book outside the Metropolitan Museum. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) That's amazing. So if you live in New York, Please, this is a shout out to my sister-in-law's mom, Marcy. Go grab her book from <laughs> the Met. From um, Grace at the Met. Uh-huh. Grace at the Met. And take a picture <laughs> if you do it. Yes, um, absolutely. She's at the <laughs> southeast end of the Met near the 81st Street entrance. <laughs> That's great. Well, Patricia, thank you so much for your time today. I know my listeners are going to take away some of these tips and start integrating them into their lives. So thank you. Thank you, Amy. It was really a pleasure to meet you and it was a pleasure to chat with you. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.